Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I'm Dorian Mincer, and I want to welcome all of you to my Revolutionize Your Retirement Interviews with Experts series. I want to now introduce Marcy. I know many of you are on the call, particularly because of your interest in this topic, and I hope you will come back to future calls, too. I am so delighted, Marcy, to have you with us on the call. Marcy is a leading authority on changing face, changing the face of work, and she's also vice president at Encore.org, which is a nonprofit making it easier for millions of people to pursue second acts for the greater good. She's author of, before this current book that I'll be talking about and she'll be talking about, she's author of One Person, Multiple Careers, which is the original guide to the slash career, which popularized the term slasher to refer to those individuals who can't answer what do you do with a single word or phrase. She's also created the Shifting Careers column and blog for the New York Times and the Working the New Economy blog for Yahoo. Marcy makes frequent appearances in the media, offering advice and commentary about slashing, encore careers, and other workplace trends. She's been featured in such outlooks outlooks as the Today Show, NBC Nightly News, National Public Radio, as well as countless print and web publications. Um, Just a little about her background. She grew up on the uh, Jersey Shore, living above her family's motel, and has lived in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Hong Kong. But as she says, she always finds her way back to New York City, where she spent more than 15 years. In her free time, she reads, travels, walks extensively, and plays low-stake pokers. We'll have to find out what that's about. <laughs> <Low-stake pokers. laughs> she lives in Greenwich Village with her husband, who's an entrepreneur, designer, and their French bulldog, Sinatra, which is such a great, great name for a, a dog. And as most of you on the call know, that Mar- Marcy Alberher is author of this relatively brand-new book called Encore Career Handbook, How to Make a Living and a Difference in the Second Half of Life. So, Marcy, as I said, just delighted that you're going to be with us. And I wonder if maybe you could just start off maybe even with a definition of what is an encore career and why do you think there's so much interest in this topic? Because as we can see, there's so many people signed up for this call. So let's start with Well, well, first, Dory, thanks for having me. Dory, we booked this call so many months ago, and so I've been really looking forward to it, and I know you have a really engaged audience of people who probably already get this idea a little bit and love talking to an audience that you have both professionals and individuals interested in exploring the new face of non-retirement going to be, I'm really looking forward to engaging on this today. So I think the reason that the Encore idea is really touching a nerve right now is that we all know that the end of retirement is last year's story or it's been, we've had the nail in the coffin of retirement has been, has been, I don't know, being executed for many years now. We know that people can't afford to retire and even if they can afford to retire, they're not choosing to retire. The old story was this isn't your parents or your grandparents' retirement, but I think we're on to a new story, which is so if you're not going to do the, the old-fashioned retirement and move to the Sun Belt and ensconce yourself in 20 years of leisure, what are you going to do instead? <laughs> so that that has been a big topic of discussion. And one of the big answers is work of some kind because people, we've had a real crisis in terms of pensions and in terms of what kind of savings people are facing. But at the same time, There is a real desire, even if people are financially prepared to wind down their primary or secondary or (laughs) tertiary careers, people are really um, very concerned about remaining connected and relevant and engaged and useful during what used to be retirement years. There's a big collective feeling that we're not done yet when we hit our 50s and 60s. And there's, if you're going to be feeling vital and engaged through your 70s and maybe your 80s, How do you make those euros matter, and how do you make them meaningful, both to yourself and to your community and the world? I think that's so important, and what you've been talking about also, it just it highlights the importance that I keep learning 
because of my interest also in positive psychology, that connection, engagement, and purpose and meaning are so key for all of us. And I think it does make the difference between productive aging and non-productive aging. And you're really talking about productive aging. I just think that it's so important. I want, there was one question that came up um, that I just want to respond to quickly before I ask you some more questions that um, one member of the audience has said that he's having trouble with the web listening. Um, And I've heard from Donna, who helps me with the um, background setup of all of this, who's my assistant, that she's not having a problem with web listening. So I just want to say if anyone is having trouble with it, just try again to sign in or perhaps if you're able to call in on the phone number if you're having trouble with the web. It might have something to do with the speaker on your computer. So I wanted to just comment on that and now that it's the beginning of the call. But back to you now, Marcy. You've actually had a lot of reinventions yourself. I didn't, in my introduction of you, mention that you had been a corporate lawyer and then you also were a freelance journalist. And more recently now, with your work with Encore.org, you're a nonprofit staff person. Have those experiences colored your views about Encore careers? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, sure. So that my experiences in career change are what got me interested into in this work as a journalist, and are you know, directly related to why I decided to join Encore.org and focus on how to help other people figure out how to make this kind of transition. But what's interesting is that I had my career changes when I was a little younger. My first career change was in my 30s, and my mm-hmm. next career change was in my 40s. And what I learned after interviewing hundreds of people who are going through the Encore shift, which more likely happens when you're in your 50s or your 60s, is that it's pretty different to change careers in the years that you still think of yourself as in your primary kind of earning years than to move into a new kind of work in the years where everybody else expects you to be slowing down. So those experiences very much colored me and got me interested in all of this. But I realized when digging into this work that we have some systemic challenges around people who are trying to move into new kind of work in their 50s and 60s, and which makes these transitions, I think, sometimes harder. I come to this with a lot of respect for how hard it is to make career changes in the first place and how age can complicate things further and raises some new issues that we all need to be thinking about because I think there is this greater need for the Encore career that's not just about the individuals going through it, but about the fact that our society really needs the talents and experiences of people in their 50s and 60s. And we as a society need to support the fact that people are going to need to reinvent at this life stage. And there are some structures in place to help now, but there will likely be more and more ways to get help going forward because if we can crack this as a culture and figure out how to make sure that people are getting, that there are pathways to help people move into purposeful work in this kind of life stage, there's a real win-win for society in the whole because this work is all about directing people at this life stage to ways to use their talent to solve big social problems and to, to, to give in all kinds of ways in their community. And we have to make sure that people are can get the access to skills and new training and that workplaces where we're sending people are open to receiving them. Mm, that's true. Can you talk a little more about that maybe? Of What's your sense of what people 50, 60 or more, what's both available now and also what kind of things you mentioned about maybe school? Or do you feel like people in the older ages perhaps do need to go back to school and retrain for an encore? Or yeah, and I think... Almost all career shifts involve some kind of new learning, whether that is experiential in the form of internships or fellowships or on-the-job learning, or as in the case of the Encore, most often it's volunteering. It's giving your time in ways that range from showing up and doing kind of grassroots work to more sophisticated kinds of volunteering, like pro bono consulting, where you use your professional skills in various ways to help organizations that you care about. There's the experiential side where you get out and try stuff out and you do things, and that contributing may be an end in and of itself, but it also may help you to figure out what you want to do next, how you're going to do it, and how you're going to meet the network of connections that's going to take you there. 
And the other big piece, and there are huge sections in the book on both of these aspects, is formal education in the form of classes, webinars, degree and non-degree programs, certificates. I mean, the, the world of higher education and, and the, the way that we retrain is so vast right now, and it's everything from programs at community colleges to all kinds of uh, four-year universities and colleges are getting in on the game and realizing that, wow, this baby boom population is a very big customer base. And people are going back to their people who went to four-year colleges are going back to their undergraduate institutions as alumni to get retrained for what they're going to do for their second or third act. And schools are really getting wise to that. But it's possible that your encore training may not be a full-on degree program, may be an immersion and a certificate program in a new field like wellness coaching or healthcare navigating or all kinds of areas that are cropping up now where encore talent is really suited to certain kinds of work. That's a great point. And I, one thing that I love about your book, there are many things I love about your book, but one, you have a list of so many great resources that people can turn to. Just this new program I know it served, which started in New York, and you probably know more about it than I do, although I was, I'm learning about it and know it's new here in Boston and other people may have it. It's, maybe you could speak to it a little, because it's an example, I think, of helping people sure during that transition time. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Reserve. I don't know there. I think in six or seven states already, I live in New York, and the Reserve program in New York is very well established. And it's a program, it's basically, if you look at ideas of service like AmeriCorps, which is really very much focused on young people serving after college or in those years, it's a similar community and national service model where people over 55 who have skills and talents to use are offering those skills and ta- talents in short-term project assignments with nonprofits and public agencies that need help. And it pays a small t- stipend. I think you get about 10 bucks an hour. And, and these are ideal ways to start learning about using some skills that you want to use, learning about some organizations in your area that might need help and support. Many people do reserve as an end in and of itself. They sign up and they get a certain number of hours a week, 15 hours a week, and that feels like the commitment they want to make. And others use that experience to segue into something that's a much bigger and deeper commitment. And that reserve is just one of the models. You know, on Card we started a fellowship program that's now spreading like wildfire all over the country where we offer one-year stipended fellowships, and it's a half-time uh, for the full year or full-time for the half-year commitment, and that's designed to target people who are transitioning from corporate jobs into leadership and management roles in the nonprofit sector, and much in the way that a very serious internship would be for young people, this is the pathway program because a lot of people say, sure, I want to help a nonprofit and I want to apply my skills in new ways and find that the nonprofits aren't always banging down their doors if you haven't been in that sector. So this is a program that was designed to solve that particular problem. And most of the people who complete that when your fellowship end up going to work for the organization where they did their fellowship. That's great to know about. That's great. One other this housekeeping, I, since I'm getting some questions relating to that, I just want to mention there is no PDF to download, so don't worry. If you are listening on the phone, just be present and listen to the interaction with Mar- Marcy and ask some questions. Glenna actually has a question. I'm going to integrate questions from other people's as well as my own as we go along, and I think it ties into kind of what we're talking about now since you talked a little about making a change when you were younger and then many people now that they're older. And so Glenna asks, is there a significant difference between finding a new career before hitting the retirement age versus finding your career path as a stage of retirement, mostly about age or their physical, philosophical differences that take place when people are in the second stage of life already? Sure. And I'm Dory. I know you're an expert on this. and Feel free to chime in yourself. When I talk to people about who are figuring out things that are transitions when they are older, a few things come up as themes. There's no one size fits all. People go through this in lots of different ways, but there are certainly patterns. One pattern I see a lot is... um, the idea of revisiting something that you were interested in when you were young, so the kind of unfinished business idea, or taking something that was always present in your life for years, but maybe it was in one corner of your life as a hobby or something you did on the side with your free time, 
but you're now hitting a, a stage of life where you think, wow, I'd really like to elevate that work and give it more first position and not wall it off so much. And so that's one thing that happens a lot. I can tell you that just the opposite happens too, which is mm-hmm. the people wake up and say, I made some choices about what I wanted to do in my life 30 years ago. I was a different person. The world is a different person. I now find that I'm exposed to all kinds of new ideas and thinking, and I'm interested in something completely new, which would mean having to go back to school and get some training and really dig into something new and have that kind of really exciting experience that comes when we learn something new and when we are open to moving in a whole new way. So I've seen it happen in all the different ways. And I'm wondering, Dory, because you work with people at this life stage, do you see one more than the other? No, I see both. I think often my experience has been this, you mentioned about the unfinished business that, you know, so often... And people may not even consciously think about it at the moment, but sometimes when people let themselves reflect and explore what things have, have given them interest in the past or that they had a passion about even when they were younger and that they had to put on the back burner, I've seen some people really be able to own that and move in that direction, and it's been pretty exciting to watch. That's been my experience. And I'm just wondering, because I know you talk about, and it's tied into, I think, what you're talking about now about this encore moment. Do you think... You know, that people do have an encore moment and something that, that the epiphany that says it's time to do something yeah. different? Or can you just maybe talk about that and what you've seen and learned and different ways that people find it? Partly you're sure. yeah. talking about that a little bit already, but. Yeah, I think the epiphany is a fascinating concept. I think epiphanies are very handy for storytelling purposes because they they involve a pinpointed moment. I have an epiphany that I talk about in the book and I've talked a lot about in my own transition where I was doing work I didn't really care about as a corporate lawyer and uh, I, I was working also in incredibly hard hours and finding it very unfulfilling and also very disconnected from who I was as a person. And I finally went on vacation after almost two years of not having any break at all and I got, and I was in Rio de Janeiro on a beautiful beach, shut up, sitting at a pool with a bunch of friends, and my cell phone rings, and it was my boss asking me if I would consider coming home and cutting my vacation short because something had heated up in my absence. I often talk about that as my epiphany. Mm. That was the moment in which I knew I could not do that work one day longer and that the minute I returned, I didn't cancel my vacation, I didn't cut it short, I said no, and when I get home, I gave notice, and I decided I was determined to figure out something to do that would make me feel better about work and what I was contributing in the world. I talk about that as my epiphany, but that had been brewing for months. And something else would have set me off and got me to make the decision. But it's very convenient to talk about epiphanies. They're memorable. We So I'm a little skeptical about the epiphany sometimes. So when you have, you asked about the encore moment, there are about six different ways I talk in the book about the way people get to their encore moment. So one of them is what I just described. The I had a crisis of conscience. That's one of the types of encore moments, which is I don't feel good about this work. I cannot do it any longer. And usually for people who have a crisis of conscience, they can usually tell you the moment where they said, I won't do this one day longer. So that's one. One. The other types of encore moments have to do with something pretty dramatic that happens to you, a loss, a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, the end or beginning of a relationship that takes, makes you realize that you're looking at the world differently and the time you have left differently than you ever did before. You could have a positive experience, an illness in recovery where once you're out of the woods or a caregiving episode that comes to an end and you finally feel ready to focus on yourself. So these things aren't quite epiphanies. They're much, they're longer. They're Mm -hmm. thinking that develops after a long situation or an experience of some kind. I think those are more common than a bolt of lightning kind of epiphany. That's helpful to hear about. It makes me think, too, of this model of change that Prochaska, who's a psychologist in Rhode Island, talks about their five stages. One is pre-contemplation when something's just bubbling around, as you say, just there. And and then the contemplation, which is the real thinking about it. And then the preparing for it, which might be the 
training or gap analysis or <clears throat> any of that. And then it's the actual action and then maintaining it. So it, it, I think what you were saying just made me think about that, that it's not the one moment or the epiphany, although it's a nice word, but but that often there's a process to it. And I think that although there can be life events that just open somebody to that space to say, it's okay to make a change. I don't have to keep doing right. any mold all the time. And I guess permission And there's also that. the realization um, because of the stages you just talked about, which are very convenient to think about, there is often a space between a realization that something needs to change and then the change right. or the decision about what it needs to change to. And all of that, the book is, was, as I was working on the book, I really thought about the two kinds of readers, the reader who knows what they want to do and just wants to figure out how they want to get there or the reader who wants to figure out both what they want to do and how they are going to get there. And there's a lot of different processes going on in these questions that need to be answered. And it is, as with all transitions, it's never a straight line. It's going to involve a lot of detours. It's going to involve a lot of unanticipated things. And sometimes those unanticipated things are going to take you in a direction that you didn't plan for feels right. So it, it's really that process is hard to map out very specifically, and it's going to unfold differently for people, for different people. Well, that's a great point. And just the openness, though, to it that that needs to be there, that space. Again, one more housekeeping that I need to interject. I've just gotten a kind of an FYI for the person who initially was having trouble with the web, and it's working now, and I've heard... So basically, try to switch. If you're trying to use Safari and a Mac, try to see if you can switch to Firefox. The feedback I got was that Safari didn't work, but Firefox works. So sorry to have to keep bringing this in, but we want everybody to have access. Try that change if you're able to do that on your computer. Otherwise, my suggestion is if you can, call in on the phone, or worst case scenario, you'll be able to listen to the to the recording afterwards. Back again to what you were saying and the that sometimes people move in different directions. I wondered that Encore, you know, the or, Encore organization, which is www.encore.org, so much of the emphasis is on people switching really from the profit world to the nonprofit world. And I just wondered, is that usually the situation <clears throat> and what happens if, for people who've spent most of their whole lives in the not-for-profit world are they also you know, do you find that people who've been doing good all along or their hearts been more in what they've been doing do they also go through these changes to try to develop an encore career in the way that you've been talking about it yeah they do and Dory I'm not so sure we would say that the majority of encore people are the sector switchers we started oh, talking okay. about that a little bit but that is not certainly what we're seeing. And in fact, people who have always had a part of their life where their work was div driven by some social kind of conscience or mission as, as much as it was about making a living. What's interesting is they're a very, very big part of this movement and they go through some of the very same things, which is you could be a teacher or a social worker or a nonprofit staffer and find that after 20 or 30 years of working in one way, in one field, in one kind of area of expertise, you're still ready to shake things up and you still want to make sure that what you do matters and that's always been a guiding compass for you. You still will find that you have to go through some kind of process to figure out what do you want to do now and how are you going to get there and how are you going to get the training you need, how are you going to shift your network. There are countless examples in the book, but I often see people who want to change the way that they work. So, for example, someone who's taught in a classroom for 20 or 30 years may not be done with education, but may say, my teaching days are over and I'm ready to let someone else, a fresh face, get into the classroom. But if I have to deal with one more September and one more group of 30 new students, I, I can't do it one, one season longer. Those are people we see. Some of them leave the field completely, but some of them do things like go into education policy work or administration rather than teaching, very common kinds of shifts, taking what they've learned and saying, wow, I see the systemic issues that are, that are plaguing our education system, and I want to do something different than work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I want to affect policy in a much bigger way. So that's a common kind of shift. I also see people who have worked with one kind of population their entire career and say it's time to work with a different 
kind of population or a different set of problems in the world. And that's an intellectual shift around kind of saying, maybe I've given this my best thinking over these years, and it's time to direct my energies and passions and thinking to some new problem that I care about. That's great. And again, it's the openness. It's the kind of really being in touch with what your skills are, but also what your strengths are, because that's really what you're talking about now. Just the lovely example that you gave about the teacher who might go into educational policy or administration or some work like that. It, it may be that part of the part of what's What's not working in the current job is oftentimes feeling like I can't really use the strengths I have in the way I want, but I don't want to totally leave the field, but I want to figure out how to, how to embrace it in a new way so that I can feel that I'm able to be productive, but in a different way is what I'm hearing and what you're saying. Yeah, it's about really trying to align your skills, your experience, your passions, and don't forget your desire. So there are many people who could use the same skills and experiences but feel like they don't want to anymore, that it's time to use some different skills and experiences, some of which you might have to you might have to hone for the first time. You might have to get some new skills. So just because you're good at something and just because you know how to do it, that doesn't mean that's what you should continue to do if you're ready for some new kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. Good point. What about, do you run into people who say that they're just too old to try something new or too old to go back to school or it's too much of a young people's world? Do you find that those kind what? of those issues get in the way? <laughs> yeah, this is a really, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, here. I find those people who seem to have made their changes latest in the game are the ones who always tell me it's never too late to make a change. I talked to a woman who went back to school after getting her GED and an associate's degree. She finally graduated college at 60 and is thinking about going on for a master's, never knew that she had any knack for education whatsoever and thinks you are never too old to go back to school. I've talked to others who've gotten PhDs in their 60s who had no no question at all that that was the right thing for them to do. So it's very much in your head, and you have to be willing to embrace what it's like to be a blank slate. What's it like to absorb for the first time? A lot of people find it very exciting to go back and learn new things, but you have to be willing to embrace the fact that education is really different now, and you might have to do a lot of it. If you're thinking about, if you're listening on a call like this, you obviously understand that we all use technology differently. We all are going to be taking things in new ways. Another big piece of going back to schools you may be learning from and alongside people much younger than you. And a lot of people find that very exciting as well. Yeah, no, and some people don't, and so that's part of the difference. And some people don't, exactly. And I think if you're a big piece of the retraining education and the succeeding in an encore career really has to do with understanding what it's like to learn from, work with, and cross-mentor younger people. Because the workplace today is this intergenerational stew. And if you're going to succeed in it, and you have to realize that you both have talents and experience to offer, but you have to have some amount of humility that you're open to learning from people younger from you, younger than you, who are by definition going to be doing things in a different way, who will have lots to learn from you, but will have lots to teach you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the openness to that is also part of what keeps people alive, that, that intergenerational situation. But I have seen some people who, are, you know, they get so threatened or uncomfortable with having the older boss or, or other people and feeling like they, I don't want to have to listen to them. They don't have the wisdom that I have. And so it can create control struggles <laughs> for people. Yeah, I felt like that even in my 30s and 40s when I was starting to, you know how when you start having that feeling, and I know this gets increases much further as you get older, where you go to a doctor and you think, wow, 
that doctor's like a child. <laughs> it's like you walk into certain offices and you just think, wow, the world has gotten so young. And I think that's a, an important thing to get comfortable with if you're going to stay in the game is that you're going to hit an age where everybody seems like a baby. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you have to really get comfortable with that and be open to the idea that we can all learn from each other at different life stages and that the way you're used to doing things may not be the way it's being done in the field you want to enter and that if you're going to if you're going to have an impact often it's not just the passion and caring about something it's figuring out how the work is done today that's a great point a question that just came up here is there are a number of really good questions that I'm going to be integrating in but one is it sort of relates to what you're talking about does have you found that is there a common mistake that people make that seems to inhibit their progress in transitioning to this next career I don't think there's any one mistake I just think there's a bunch of factors that will help you succeed. And I'd rather talk about it in the positive than in the negative. So in terms of what we were just talking about with education, I think you need a, a healthy dose of confidence in what you know and humility in where you still need to learn. So getting that recipe right is a very important thing. There's no sense in saying it's a changed world and I'm never going to succeed. So that's where you have to really work on the confidence. You have to re- recognize What are you good at? What do you know? What do you know that you bring to the table? And then you have to start identifying what do you need? What are the skills that you need to fill in to feel more comfortable staying in the game and and making sure that you can break into the field that you want to break into? So this really all is about good self-knowledge. And one thing that's very present in most people who've hit a certain age is at this point in life, you should know what you're good at, what you're not good at, and how to get help for the things that you're not good at. I see this with entrepreneurs all the time. We haven't really talked about people starting their own ventures, which is a very big part of the Encore movement. And one of the biggest advantages that Encore stage people have as they start their own ventures is this self-knowledge, this knowing, this is what I'm good at. This is what I've I'm never I've never been good at. This is what I'm willing to learn, and this is where I'm willing to bring in help because I know it's not my strength. Great point. It is that self knowledge and constantly constantly be evaluated and owning it, which I think relates to this question. I'm just trying to get back to it. But Karen from Minneapolis has asked a question which I think is really helpful of really trying to think about how adult development kind of comes into the mix here with this whole idea that as we reach a certain stage of life with kind of that midlife shifts that we go through, there's often this emphasis on wanting to become our own person, which is really a lot of what you're talking about, the kind of knowing ourselves and there's a lot of life ahead. And and that goal of becoming our own person somehow seems important in making choices. And what Karen says, and I think it's tied into what you're talking about, is that so often if people are used to working for organizations or bosses who define who they are as a worker, that it can be difficult, but yet the kind of empowering stuff, you know, feeling of when you break free, like you described for yourself, Marcy, and it means that you're becoming your own person. Some people have a little bit more trouble with that. It's tied in, it seems to me, with that shifting notion of success, that we don't have to just define ourselves by how other people define us in, in terms of our role as a worker, but it's what's important to us, how do we define ourselves, and that that seems to be maybe what frees people to move ahead in an encore career. Do you find that? Wow, and you just identified a whole bunch of different things that we could talk about. So one of them is just that success idea. Something that's very common among people making these encore transitions is a different way of looking at success. And if you would say that the primary stages of your career are about climbing the ladder and achieving a certain status and prowess, that maybe this new stage of career is about letting go of some of that and and focusing much more on having an impact and figuring out a way to to do the things you want to do that you think have meaning rather than being so consumed by what's my title going to be and am I climbing up the hierarchy in the right ways. So a lot of people talk about the liberated feeling of letting go of some of that at this life stage. So that's one piece that I would definitely put out there. And then there's this other, if we're going to look at some of the psychological bases of this, that life stages, when you hit your 50s and 60s, a big piece of the midlife developmentally 
is thinking about the future and thinking about the generative aspects of what happens at this life stage. It's why people get very invested in their grandchildren, even if they weren't present that much as parents, right? There is this connection to the future, which we see through connections with young people, but it shows up in lots of ways also in building organizations and businesses that might survive you in solving, working on issues that have enduring importance and thinking about what your legacy is going to look like. So these things can be really motivating, those kinds of elements. Yeah, I think that legacy part is so important. But I wonder, this is shifting back again for a moment, but have you found changes at all with how the recessions affected people's interest in doing work that's going to benefit other people and this legacy leaving? For so many people, it's so hard to find any kind of work. And are you finding that during this period of time, are there are people more concerned with taking care of themselves than others? Or are you finding that, that people are still wanting to think about what kind of impact they can make or what kind of legacy they can leave? Yeah, so I think this has impacted Encore careers in a lot of different ways. So one of the biggest ways that the recession has affected Encore work in is that when people see how hard many how, how hard the hardest hit are having right now, there is an increasing need for Encore work that is focused on solving the economic hardships of the recession. So we, Encore.org, we do something called the Purpose Prize. So we give out $100,000 awards to social innovators over the age of 60. We also honor quite a lot of people who don't win the cash prize but are also doing work that is worthy of recognition but we but didn't qualify for the prize. So many of these winners that we're seeing now, these winners and fellows, are doing work that is about rebuilding communities that were hard hit by this recession, helping people on issues like home foreclosure. One of our winners this year, Tom Cox from Maine, was a lawyer who had worked on on foreclosures in the for for big financial companies who basically went in and created a new model for helping people hang on to their homes and he was using his expertise and basically switching sides and deciding that he wanted to take his experience in all those years and solve the people solve the help people who were hardest hit by this economic downturn. So we see a lot of uncreativity that is sparked by the mm-hmm. recession. Yet at the same time Many people are embarking on their encores because they've been laid off or because their industry has been decimated and they need to figure out what's next. It's, it, we're seeing it in both sides. Mm, that's helpful to know. What's the first thing someone should do to get started in an encore career? So the first thing really is asking a lot of questions of yourself and figuring out where you are in this process. So are you years away? Or are you ready to make a jump right away? Do you know what it is you want to do? Or do you have to figure that out? There's a whole chapter in the book that is designed to help you figure this out. We have a series of exercises. And I recommend going, sitting with the book with a cup of tea in your favorite spot and spending some time without putting any requirements that anything be realistic. And do some of these exercises and ask yourself these kinds of questions so that you can start to go through a process. And then closely related to that is figuring out what's the place and time you're going to work on this. Can you carve out some time in your life? And I'm sure you see this with people in the coaching and counseling work that you do, which is what kind of commitment are you willing to make? Are you willing to meet with a professional to work on this a little bit? Are you willing to find an encore buddy, someone else who's going through this process who will hold you accountable and support you? And so many of us can, I always had a group like that helped me when I made my transitions and um it's why we created the Encore Transition Group Guide, which is a free guide that's available on the book's website that I'm encouraging people to use and download. It's If you go to Encore.org backslash handbook, right in the middle of the page in the resources section is this guide. It's a very handy way to use the book with a group or with another person also going through the Encore Transition. Very helpful to know. And I, again, I recommend people that you both get the book as well as go to www.encore.org. Tied in with that, Laura from Portland, Oregon asks, if, are there 
do you have any advice for midlife people who are prepping for an interview? Are there certain questions they should be asking the interviewer because of their age and stage? Are there any assessments that, and you just mentioned some of the exercises, so that can be helpful, but, but any thoughts? And I guess right now we're talking about people talking with other people and having interviews for jobs. And I want to also afterwards have you talk a little bit more about people going into becoming entrepreneurs. But any advice sure. for people preparing? For yeah, anything? sure. Two, two things. We're offering a, a free seminar this week with LinkedIn that I think would be really useful for anybody mm-hmm. who is interested in the interview process and resumes and those kinds of things. So if you go to the Encore.org website, we have information posted about that. It's also on the book's tour page, which is www.workman.com backslash blog backslash Encore, and the entire tour is listed there. It's also listed on the book's page, the book's website page on Encore.org, but this, the LinkedIn seminar is very useful for people thinking about actual in- interviews. There's a lot in the book on interviews, so I'm trying to think of what I can tell you in just a few quick minutes because I know we're going to be winding down soon. The trickiest thing about interviews when you've had a a lot of experience is figuring out how to tell your story concisely and how to create a through line so that your narrative makes sense. And it's really important for all of us to figure out how can we get across a message of who we are in small periods of time, because that's often all you have to tell your story. So you may have had 15 jobs and, and had a bunch of industry jumps, but The most important thing is talking about what you've done in a way to connect with what you want to be doing next. So too often you meet someone and you ask them to tell you about themselves and they tell you about themselves in elaborate detail. So the the real challenge for all of us these days in this world of short attention is how can we succinctly convey who we are and what's relevant to the person that we're talking to at that moment. That's a very important advice. And again, it's that being concise, concise, knowing that, as you say, there's just maybe a couple of moments, but really needing to hone in on strengths, values, skills, experiences, what you want, what you need, and desire, all the things you were talking about before. I think it all comes into to play at that time. I have another question for you here from Sonia, who talked about that she spent her career really doing work that had a lot of meaning, but she said many people burn out by the demands of these very high, intense, low-paid jobs, but are still driven to use their gifts and strengths in post-retirement and maybe for personal profit, which maybe leads into the entrepreneurial part that we can lead into, but she wondered if there were any assessment tools you can recommend that might be helpful for people. Well, there's a bunch of assessment tools mentioned in the book, things like Myers-Briggs, the Strength Finder. They're all, we list them all in the book, and I agree those are good ways to start thinking about your own strengths and how you can apply them to other things. But on the burnout question, I think that's a little bit of a separate issue, which is often, and we didn't talk about this at all, people who are arriving at an encore because they are burned out and because they just have reached their limit in one way or another, one of the most important things to do is to give yourself some time and space to recover a bit, to slow down and give yourself, if you've been working pretty steadily and one of the reasons that's driving you to figure out what's next is that you are just at your limit, you're at full capacity, you may not be able to figure out the next thing until you get get a breather and get uh, some space on it. And if you need to make an income and you can't just say, I'm going to give myself a gap year, I'm going to give myself six months off, you may find that your short-term solution is to find something you can do part-time to earn an income that meets your financial needs, but that frees you up a bit to start working on this reinvention process. And so you separate the two a little bit. You separate the money side from the figuring out side. Great point. I think that's really helpful and important. Can you talk a little more about people who shift into entrepreneurial work? Sure. A lot of research is telling us that the highest growth area in entrepreneurship is people between it's something like 55 and 64. So this kind of real heart of midlife is very fertile for people wanting to start their own ventures, be they for-profits, non-profits. We focus specifically on people who want to start ventures, whether they be for-profit or non-profit, that have a social mission in addition to any financial goals you have. And it's a very rich area for people 
who want to move into something next and maybe want to have some sense of control. Whether or not they've been entrepreneurial in the past, a lot of people hit this life stage and realize that they do have, we have a little quiz in the book that can help you figure out if you're designed for entrepreneurship or not. A lot of it has to do with how resourceful you are, how open to risk you are. And that's not a deal breaker if you're not that open to risk. It just might mean you may, it might mean that you may have to mitigate the risks of your venture, keeping the overhead low, keeping your investment to a minimum, and it may affect how you structure your venture. Mm-hmm. And there's also the question of what scale of entrepreneurship, self-employment are you looking at? Self-employment can be anything from being a consultant or a freelancer or what's like a solopreneur just working as your one-person shop, or it could be building a venture that will eventually employ others and be a scalable idea that's bigger than you. So I think those are all important things to know about yourself and to know in terms of the way you want to work going forward. Great. A couple more questions, and I have my eye on the clock there, too. But the subtitle of your book emphasizes making a living as well as making a difference. Do you think it's really possible to do both at the same time, or do many people end up doing one thing to support themselves and then another to give back to society, or are you finding people can really do both? Yeah, I am finding that people can do both, and it's why we structured the book the way we did, because I think it's really the magic formula. I think if people get that, they're usually very satisfied. If we're talking about a new stage of life that can last between from 5 to 20, 25 years, it's really going to be the answer for how people take care of themselves in the years that used to be retirement. So making a living is fundamental. And it's why in this book, I looked a lot at not just how do you have an impact through volunteering, but where are the nonprofit jobs? All nonprofits and social ventures employ people to do their work, and they pay salaries. And where are the growth areas where there are impact-oriented work that also pays well? And the answer is going to be a lot of it is in healthcare, which is the number one rising field right now. And every survey you look at, whenever there's job growth in the economy, it's often in healthcare, and there are healthcare roles at every level of education and every part of the economy. And there are lots of roles that can be done both as jobs and in self-employment settings. So that's one area mm-hmm. we dig in pretty deeply into the book. What are some others? So you, you mentioned the Encore Hot Jobs, and clearly healthcare, as you just mentioned, is one of them. What are there yeah. two others? And do you have any favorites that you've discovered as yeah, you've been so- doing this work? <laughs> Yeah, green jobs are really an area that is hot in some places, less hot in others, and really has to do with regional nuances. So in areas that are supporting new kinds of alternative energy, so areas, for example, where there are a lot of government incentives around solar, there's a lot of work as well, and work for people doing all kinds of things. You could be an installer, you could be in sales, you could be in marketing, you could be in engineering. So these fields are very, it's very interesting for people who are trying to think about all different kinds of of skills and how to match them up with something that they care about. For people with an environmental bent or who are really interested in thinking about the business side of how we're going to help our energy resources going forward, that's a really fertile area to look about, but again, it's going to be pretty geographic specific. I've mentioned before, you asked me about my favorite job, and really my favorite up-and-coming job is the wellness coach. As we're figuring out how to solve all the issues we have around healthcare, both in terms of funding healthcare and keeping people healthy, not just in a curing disease way, but in a preventing disease way, there are all kinds of new players in the healthcare system that are opening up and that medical offices and hospitals are using to keep people from getting very sick. And so that's one area where there's good training available and where there's a lot of different employment options. People are working in private settings as coaches that people hire. People are being employed by medical practices, by hospitals, by clinics of all kinds. So that's just an example of, and there are other many other healthcare roles that I think fall into that category of helping us to people healthier before they get sick to and things around health education and navigating the healthcare system. And I think we're going to see a lot more growth and creation of new roles in that area. Great. And actually, Donna from Texas has said that green career 
www.sexcentral.com. She's found has been a really helpful. Yes, that's a great one, and it's a resource that we name in the book. Yeah, great. I have a number of other questions, but I'm looking at the time. So Jerry from Boston says, have there any major government entities or politicians come on board to the Encore movement? And if so, which ones? And if not, is there any way we can impact them to do so? That's a great question. That's a great question and one that we will think about a little bit. I can't tell you that there's an Encore champion that I would point to, but I would say that's something that we do think about from time to time. And I'm going to take that as a question that I would bring back to the rest of my team about how we could enable people to be more activist about this issue. Great. And that ties into a question from Kendall. I think it's a little different because it's not on the the political area, but how do people less well-educated and with fewer resources participate in this Encore revolution? There's some extra struggles that they have in terms of just meeting the basic necessities, but have you, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Yes, I do. So I think this idea is appealing to people at all education levels. And one of the best kind of community resources that we can recommend are are community colleges, which have a mission of serving everyone in a community, and they're very plugged into where the jobs are in local communities. So the National Association of Community Colleges has a 50-plus program that is all about helping people in this age group reinvent for new kinds of work. And that initiative was um, catalyzed by some work we did at Encore.org and is really trying to target every kind of person in every community. So that's a really good resource that I love to recommend to people because the community colleges are working very closely with local employers and trying to understand what are the ways to help move people into jobs, both that will help the community and that will help individuals who need work who may be out of work. Great. Really helpful. I, Jan Hively, Jan Hively from Cape Cod, who's part of the call, wanted to just say as a hint to your readers and to people listening that she and her colleague, Maura Allen, have been working with what's called your business plan builder, and they're developed the Pass It On Network, and that the same tool could be helpful for thinking through grant proposals and for structuring collaboration. So she wanted to mention that for you to know about, Marcy. Great, and I'm familiar with Jan's work, and I'm a huge admirer, so thank you, Jan, for sharing that. Great. So any last, before I select the book winners, any last thought, Marcy, that you'd like to leave with all the listeners in terms of Encore? My last thought is that the way this is going to become a movement and really catch fire is if everybody helps each other with this process. So rather than look to saying who are the experts that are going to help me and who are are the kind of professionals I can hire to really get me through this, also think about how can you help one another, And which is why I'm a big proponent of starting these transition groups and finding an Encore buddy to help you work through your own transition. This is, since there's a lot of parallels to the women's movement and to consciousness raising groups and to finding your support wherever you can find it. So that's my parting suggestion. I want to thank you so much. So many of the topics we could go on and on, and but I think it's just been such wonderful information to think about of how each one of us, and I like that parting thought of how we can connect with each other to help people and to try to help people move ahead with their Encore career. So thank you all for being with us, and have a good month. And thanks again, Marcy. This was terrific. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.